Welcome along to another edition of NHL Fans From Afar. We are clearless this week. However, we are not without our allocated quota of Leaf fans because I'm very pleased to say that James Reeve has joined us this week alongside our resident Stars fan, Matt Day. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Thanks. So now James is going to be representing the Heartbroken Leafs fans club that I'm uh, a member of and we're going to talk very little about them. Uh, but Matt still has a lot of skin in the game with the Dallas Stars. It's a very exciting series against uh, the Calgary Flames. We're also going to have a talk about that game, that game that went on. I mean, we should check that it has finished that Columbus-Tampa game a week on because it went on to 5 OT. Me and Matt both happened to watch it through till the end. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. James writes all about the Arizona Coyotes. So we're going to find out more about them and what their chances are in the playoffs this year. And of course, we need to talk to Matt about Dallas, uh, who said, I'm pretty sure that they can't score more than two. And they've done that several times in this series. But that is the last bit of prediction bone picking we're going to do, because if you did listen back to last week's podcast and went through the predictions and now looked at the scores, you'd see how far out we are. So this is a prediction free zone for the next hour. But we're going to talk Coyotes, Dallas and a bit of five overtimes and what that does to you as a fan. Right, welcome along, gents. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, so, let's start with, let's go back a week and let's start with that game that feels like ages ago and actually felt like an eternity just watching it. Um, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who broke our collective Maple Leaf hearts just days earlier, then faced the Atlantic beast that is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it was a game that was just bizarre in in terms of not through a lot of the reasons that we normally expect from a hockey game loads of goals loads of hits loads of excitement just through the sheer length of the flipping thing like it went on for games and games and games and I started watching it and was going to watch that game and then watch the Dallas Calgary game but sadly the Dallas Calgary game that started two hours later finished before the Columbus Blue Jackets game versus Tampa went to 5 OT. Uh, Matt joined for the last little bit of it between uh, your game as well, watching Dallas. Just, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I just couldn't quite understand or, or couldn't get my head around the fact that I was watching a hockey game that had gone on that long because the intensity didn't really drop. It, it, it was pretty mad because usually overtime just gets a bit... It can get a bit stale, no chances, and then and then one team will will get a golden opportunity and score. But this was still creating opportunities in the fourth overtime, and I don't know where they were getting the energy from. No, I mean Seth Jones was an absolute beast. I think he set a record for the most minutes played in a in an NHL game. Um, and I I feel like I should almost take back something I said about Jonas Corpusello last week because <laughs> yes. I did say that. 
while Claire was waxing lyrical about gr- how great he was, I kind of made the point that I actually think the Leafs made him look good because the amount of awful shots that they put on him made him face a lot of shots, but they weren't very high quality. But actually, I mean, the guy faced, what was it, 81, 82 shots or something like that? In total, he faced 88 shots and he made 85 saves. I mean, wow. that is just insane. And I mean, even uh, I remember j- uh, listening to Jeff Merrick talk about it on a podcast and he was saying the only thing that disappointed him about that game was the game winning goal was a nice goal. And he said, <laughs> a game like that has to be done by some kind of awful bounce off a shin or off someone's backside or something like that. Or, you know, goaltender just lets one through. They just didn't. You know, and particularly Corpusello, who did face more shots than his counterpart at the other end. I was just amazed how those athletes can keep going at that level of intensity for that long. And yeah, blew my mind. It, I, it was the energy levels that got me. Where, where, do you, where do you get that energy from in the 15 minutes, 20 minutes in between each period to just come back again? And yeah, I mean, what, what are they eating? Where, where are they getting their food? Pizza? What are, what are they getting? I remember one of the guys saying on, the, saying on it, saying that they'd only, they'd only had one meal that day because it was an early start. You know, they'd had breakfast and then that was it. And then they were playing right through to the end. And, I mean, it was, a, it was quite, a, quite an enduring thing to watch as a fan, let alone to watch. I can't even imagine what it would be like as a fan of one of those teams. I mean, Matt, we're going to come on to talk to you about Dallas and their overtime antics and how much you love overtime hockey but i don't even know how as a fan you would be able to to compute that and to be able to you know hold your nerve for that long the thing is with the schedule as well the way it is how do you recover to come back and play another game less than two days later you know i think they play they play meant to play two days later it turned out being like 18 hours later but they played what three or four games worth and then have to come back and play another game two days later it's just it is crazy so where are you two then I'll ask you both there was the there was the, the i don't know if either of you saw it the the famous now space needle tweet from nbc analyst mike milbury who uh, who took a, a a photograph an awful photograph of um the cnn tower oh, sorry the the cn tower in toronto and um, he posted something about, you know, the space needle was glistening in the night sky or some crap. But anyway, he finished off his tweet by basically saying, enough with this. We just should go to three on three or, or a shootout as normal time. What are your two's opinion on that? Are you thinking it's a good idea or do you just keep the forever and ever amen over time that we saw in that Tampa Columbus game? Well, um I've got two things about that. As uh, as we all know, Milbury is uh, quite a colourful sort of character. He's not had he a great actually, week, has he? <laughs> no, certainly not. But he actually um, he got kind of roasted online because um, the Space Needle that he said was actually the CN Tower in Toronto. Uh, so it was a completely different tower, uh, apparently. <laughs> so there was that. But to his point of having the shootout now, playoff hockey, I'm not a personal fan of the shootout. Um, obviously being British, watching football and stuff like that, we're kind of used to penalty <laughs> shootouts and things like that. Yeah. And we all know how great they go for yeah. England and English teams. But in terms of hockey, just let them keep playing because 
when you've got teams that are really fighting for it, for it to be decided on, you know, one, like a skater versus a goalie shot that it's not a real game situation. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, maybe in the regular season, yeah, because you don't want players playing like, you know, yeah, literally eight periods of hockey or every other week sort of thing just because they can't find that goal. Um, so in the regular season, fine. But for playoff hockey, no. I think you've got to go with, with the multiple overtimes. Matt? I, I agree with James. I, I think it's part of playoff hockey. It's it's what most people want to see. The shootouts are dull and just, you know, a toss of a coin, really. Um, and I think the five overtimes, how often does it actually happen? Yeah. If you look at all the games that have gone to overtime in the playoffs this year... I think only two others have gone to two overtimes. Most have been done in in one period. So, you know, generally we're going to see a, a five or even a triple overtime every every once every year, maybe maybe you know a bit more often. But it's not that regular occurrence that we need to make a knee jerk reaction and bring in a toss of a coin like a shootout. I mean, you'll both understand why I have very little interest in playoff formats and what happens to them because it really doesn't bother me beyond the first round. But hear me out of my idea of what I want to happen in overtime because I agree with you with the shootout. I'm not a fan of it and I wouldn't want to see it come into the playoffs. However, what about that after each period of overtime, you reduce a player all the way down until it's one-on-one hockey, like off of the PlayStation? I did see this floated um, on Twitter before. Someone was making the joke that eventually you just have two goalies and then yes. if they, they can't decide it, then every player has to go onto the ice and someone finds the poke. Yes, oh, I am all for that. I'm all for that. I think it should. First one, fine. Five on five, you continue. Second one, four on four. Then three on three. Then two on two. One on one. And then you take these skaters out and it's just the two goaltenders put a puck in the middle and watch them skate together and try and score. It's got to happen. We'd be, we would have been down to the two players on that scenario. I somehow don't believe that it would get past the uh, hockey traditionalists somehow. God, could you imagine? I know. <laughs> Right. In, in reality, though, if you gave them 20 minutes of three on three, somebody's scoring. Well, that's, I mean, it, on a more serious point, I really enjoy three on three hockey in the, in the regular season. And um, yeah, I'm not are you not? I am. No, oh, I you am. are. Yeah, um, yeah. It's far more open. It's a lot more just, you know, attacking. It's a lot less defensive yeah. and, you know, because of all the space, you kind of get those nice, uh, like, overtime winning goals, like some breakaways happen because there's fewer players to get past. And I think it yeah. decides overtime games a lot quicker than five on five. And I would much prefer to see, you know, a second lot of that in the regular season, even than a shootout. To me, a shootout, even worse than, than soccer or football in hockey just seems... I don't know. There seems to. It's not that there's no skill, because of course there is skill, but it does seem very much on a toss of a coin, um, which maybe is what you need at that time. But I'd much prefer to see a bit more of that. But three on three in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm all maybe. for that. <laughs> yeah, maybe one one period of five on five, and then straight to three on three. Then straight to three on three. Oh, okay, right. so yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like my idea. A little bit yeah. like my so idea. So you give people the opportunity five on five. Give the traditionalists what they want. 
Yeah. And then you go, no, we're going chaotic. 20 minutes, five on five. Yeah. A three on three. Even. <laughs> See what happens. You yeah. would also then um, kind of reduce that whole worry about players getting overly fatigued and or injured because you're taking two guys off. So like less players are being utilized for longer and, you know, like you said, Seth Jones broke the record. He literally played an entire hockey's worth of hockey in that game, plus three extra minutes or whatever it was. So, I mean, yeah. in if it was down to three on three, he would have been on the ice a lot less. Yeah. And, you know, he probably wouldn't be so, you know, dead inside after that game. Yeah, and also... It, it... I mean, I watched I watched it all because I kind of got engrossed in it because it, it was something a bit strange because it went on for so long. But I can't say that it was entertaining other than the fact that it kept going to the point that when you were getting into like 4 OT and 5 OT, I wanted them not to score because I wanted it to keep going for as long as it could possibly go. But then it's not like it's particularly good hockey to watch by the end of it obviously because they're all you know they're all absolutely shattered but I think, I, I think the most in like the most enjoyable part of that whole thing was uh hurricanes twitter and how they just kept commenting adding uh at the nhl being like hey we've got a game but these guys won't leave and then their game got postponed to the very next day and then their game went to double ot <laughs> And the NHL then responded saying, hey, you guys got to get off the ice. I thought that was probably the most enjoyable part of that opening game. I don't know if it's, uh, yeah, sorry, Matt. I don't know if it's because of the bubble, but the NHL team Twitter accounts have been next level during this. And I have to say, I think it started with the Canes, as in I think they kind of lit the fire with all of that. And now other teams are jumping on it. I I agree, but... I think the Vegas Golden Knights need to take a look at themselves because last night they were copying the Canes and saying, oh, somebody get off the ice, please. We've got a game to play. And that was only the first period of overtime. It's like somebody's made that joke. Yeah. Get your, get your own joke. We've been there. In fact, we went to 5 OT before yeah. we start making that joke. Come back to us when your game gets postponed till the next day. But it has, been, say, it has been superb. The NHL in general has actually been like excellent with some of their like humor that they've been doing um, in within games on like the big scoreboards. They'll have like fans in attendance zero, and it's just like excellent. And then the best one that came out recently was they had like this big sign on the scoreboard and it said "Thank you to our fans." And then suddenly the camera panned to the crowd and there were just four actual fans, like air fans, just in the crowd. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's like my favourite moment from this playoffs. The bar, I love how low the bar is for kind of like hockey jokes and how, how like teams and the league kind of taking the mick, other than like Vegas and the Canes who have done it for a couple of years. But the bar is so low that literally we will, yeah, we will lap up the making a fan and air fan joke because that is just, hockey doesn't go there very often. And, uh, it has been, it's been good. And I think, how have you found, I mean, you've watched a lot more. We asked you, Matt, last week, but James, how have you found watching hockey like this in this environment and with the, you know, with the lack of fans, but with the kind of enhanced TV viewing experience, I guess, that the, the broadcasters are aiming for? Uh, to be honest, I mean, I've kind of found it 
exactly the same as how I would normally watch um, a hockey game. I don't really care what's going on in the crowd so much. I really focus more on the actual hockey. And um, as you said earlier, I, I write about the Coyotes, but I also cover a local team here in Britain and I go to games and obviously having the fans there is great for the atmosphere. But even when I'm there and there's people around me cheering, singing, all that stuff, I'm still kind of focused on what's actually happening in the game. I'm kind of more zoned into the players and their movements and picking out things that I find that I'm noticing. And um, I, some people have not enjoyed it as much, but I quite like the higher camera angle that sometimes creep like comes into games and you can kind of see the spread on the ice a bit better. Um, so from, from that sort of perspective, I've really enjoyed it. But in terms of there being no, no fans, I've not really noticed as much um, because I tend to zone out from those. Yeah. I've been quite surprised how little I've noticed it when goals have gone in. And I don't know whether it's because, they, you know, the hockey players are still celebrating and there's goal songs and stuff like that. And I don't know whether that then kind of, it doesn't negate the fans because that, that does add something to that goal celebration, but it hasn't been as noticeable as I thought it was going to be. I mean, Matt, you're, you're a few more games in now. Has it uh, changed your opinion of it? Um, well, they've started playing in crowd noise into the actual arena when there's hits or missed opportunities or even goals. So I think, although it's not being played necessarily on the broadcast itself, they're playing it into the arena, so you do still hear it as a bit of sort of ambient noise. You don't, you don't necessarily notice there's no fans as much. Um, the, high, the high camera angle that, that James mentioned, at first I think they were using it too much, mm. and it was because of the way it tracks over the ice it was quite off-putting but now i think they they've got the balance a lot a lot better they're using it at the right times and so it's actually it's actually sort of enhancing the experience rather than just going oh we've got this high camera angle we'll use it all the time um so yeah i'm 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 enjoying it um, i suppose for us we're not usually there so we're used to watching it on tv so it doesn't change too much for us but i think if you're an American or, or Canadian fan who usually goes to the playoff games, they're the games you want to be at. They're the ones with the most atmosphere, the most tension, and they're probably missing it a lot. Yeah. It would be interesting. I, I remember um, reading comments from Tuka Rask, the, the Boston Bruins goaltender, and he was saying how he, you know, he was noticing a difference and he was struggling a little bit with the fact that it was, it was really quiet and, and I, I wondered whether that was because he'd been mainly involved in the round robin and whether those games didn't quite have the same intensity as the, the playing games. Because watching the playing games, I certainly didn't see a lack of intensity. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think at the start as well, they weren't actually playing in the, the noise in the, in the arena. And, and so they've brought that in. And I think that's probably helping the players a bit more as well now. Okay, well, but, we're going we're gonna to go on. Sorry, Matt, go on. No, I was just going to say, Tuka Rask has actually gone home, hasn't he? Um, he has. He opted out due to, due to personal issues. I think that on, on that, I mean, it, it's obviously caused a you know, big reaction and, and Twitter's kind of reared its ugly head and it, it's kind of awful forms. But if we just kind of, if we take 
that stuff away and just look at it from a, a team's point of view because you know uh, not kind of disputing whether you know whether or not he should have done it because only you know the only people who know that is Tuka Rask and and, and Sweeney of the of the GM of the Bruins they're the only ones who know the real story and and that's for them to sort but but if we kind of just strip that back and look at look at losing your number one goaltender in the playoffs when your team has not had the greatest start, although they have come back a little bit now. Um, that's a big blow for the Bruins. Even if you agree with the reasons why, it's still that's going to be a difficult one for them to, to, to deal with on the ice in the, the coming rounds. I think it's um, obviously it is a big big deal from um, like an actual like performance uh, standpoint. Um, but the Bruins did have one of the best like tandems in the league this season. They've got Yaroslav Halak, who since going to Boston has kind of found like his greatest form again, um, even though he's, he's getting on in age, he's mid-30s now sort of thing. He is kind of like a number one goaltender and they're quite happy to go forward with him as the number one um, in this playoff. So I think the fact that they have Halak like already there kind of subdues the the loss of Rask. Obviously, Rask, Vesna, quality goaltender many times over his career. Um, but I think having Halak there at times, he was outperforming Rask. Like, I mean, Matt, it, sh- it, it shows the importance of having a, a goalie tandem, which we've talked about. I mean, your team, you know, your team model it. And, you know, it's... <laughs> taking taking the specifics of this case aside, there's nothing to say that you know Tukaras couldn't have got injured playing hockey, and then he would have gone, and then you'd be reliant on your backup. Same for for any team. And you know, if I think of the the Leafs, if we'd have lost Freddie Anderson, you know, I like I like Jack Campbell our backup, but you know he's not going to win us that many games. And I you know realistically, that's probably our season done if it wasn't already done before, but it's probably our postseason done by, you know, a single point of failure in a team. You know, it must be reassuring as a Stars fan to know that you've got two goaltenders who are capable of winning you a series. It, it, it does seem to be a trend, doesn't it? The, the goalie tandem thing. More and more teams are, are trying to go down that, that road. And I think the single point of failure thing that you're talking about, we've, we've seen in, in recent years, uh, goalies get injured and their, their teams just drop out of the playoffs instantly. Um, they, can't, they can't cope. And I think the tandem thing is interesting. Obviously, for the Stars, Ben Bishop's injured, we think, uh, unfit to play. Um, and we've got Anton Hudobin, who's come in and done a, done a pretty good job. I, I feel reasonably comfortable with him in, in net. But um, I, I think having that tandem and like, like you say, having Halak there lessens that blow. And you look at other teams, I and mean, we spoke about uh, Columbus last week with their goalie tandem. Um, that, that could be the difference of getting you through a, a round in the playoffs. If you can bring somebody in, especially after, you know, uh, the way the schedule is, having back-to-backs. Um, usually in the playoffs, you don't have the back-to-backs and you'll just ride that, that number one goalie all the way. But with the back-to-back, bringing in somebody else and being able to get a win or, or, or compete is, is a big advantage. And to be able to, to, be able to you know, think about Columbus in that Leaf series, the way that 
Corpozello started, played incredibly well, and then was pulled tactically, not really anything to do with him, but just as one of those tactical pulls to give his team a bit of a kick. And Muslikins comes in and... Correct me if I'm wrong, James, but I can't remember. I don't think we scored against him in that game, or maybe we did, but he certainly had a really good game coming in. And then there was instant competition then. And, you know, as soon as Corpusello got the chance to go back in again, he knew that he had to perform out of his skin because Merslickins would take over just like that. And that kind of historical starter backup is kind of being questioned as is is this the right way to go with an NHL team particularly as the cap is going to be a real issue for so many teams you wonder whether you know are we ever going to see a Bobrovsky carry price 10 million pound contract for a goaltender ever again or are we just going to see teams going actually do you know what here's here's three million a piece split the difference and we may not have that cast iron Vesna winning goaltender not that there even is such a thing but we may not have that number one starter but we'll be damned if we lose one because we'll have somebody else who can step into the breach you look at you know look at Vegas with Lennar and and Flurry. I mean what a what a goaltending tandem that yeah. is going to the playoffs with yeah and um a lot of teams are really starting to go more of the way of having a tandem um you look at the the Coyotes Actually, last season, Antiranta was their starting goaltender and Darcy Kemper was brought in as his backup. Ranta goes down and then Kemper has an almost Vesna-worthy season. Yeah. So starts the season flipped the other way, but they kind of split time a little bit and both of them got injured around Christmas time and losing them was just horrific for that team. And obviously Kemper now in the playoffs is literally playing like a god for that team, keeping them in every single game. And Ranta hasn't actually seen the ice at all, but if he came in fully healthy, like he's another goalie that before he got injured last season, he was performing at like a Vesna level goalie. So like having goalies that are able to really step up and be number ones, like a 1A, 1B sort of situation, I think that's the way that a lot of teams are going to go now, even if they over the next two seasons or whatever with this flat cap, even if they're not able to pay guys to be the number one, they might find a couple guys that are probably solid number twos, but spread them both out over a season, they'll get something really worthwhile. Do you reckon that pushes performance up of goaltenders as well? Do you reckon that having that, having that other goaltender who's not the designated backup, but somebody who's equally able to take that starting jersey off you, surely that must have an impact on your performance and your, your kind of, you know, there's no, there's no Tuesday night game against Florida in front of no fans. If you're, you know, if that's the game that you could lose your, your Jersey to. Whereas if you're a cast iron number one in your team, you know, you, you can have a few stinkers and it doesn't really matter. They know you're not going to put the backup in for more than a game or two. That must have an impact. Yeah. You'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah. And we may, you know, you look at, so when, for Dallas, Matt, when did that become a a kind of a 1A, 1B situation as opposed to moving away from a single starter? It's been, well, it's been creeping in. So Bishop, Bishop's been the number one since we signed him uh, probably three or four years ago now. And, but we had um, Antti Niemi before that. Ah, yes. And 
he there was all this talk of one A, one B, and um, that he never really lived up to the the kind of the heights to to kind of push that number one spot. And then we got Hudobin and the coaching staff always say Bishop's our number one, but everybody rates Hudobin and he always comes in and does a good job, has good stats, doesn't get the game time, but gradually, certainly this year, he's played a lot more. And and I think I mentioned last week, some of his stats are actually safe percentages is actually better than Bishop's. Mm. Um, and I think we've seen in the playoffs now, Bishop's injured. They've they've given Anton the the start. He's done well. I don't know whether if Bishop was fit, whether they'd bring him back in, unless Hudobin started playing really terribly. Because while he's in the net and playing well, it's got to be his net. Yeah. I think you've got you've got to go with the goalie that's playing playing well. And if if Bishop's got this underlying injury that keeps um, keeps hampering him. Even if he comes back and he, he says he's fully fit, you don't you don't know that because he's not played a game, and it's very difficult to bring somebody in cold in the playoffs, especially now we're getting to game six and seven. Um, so yeah, I think it's Anton's net now, certainly until the next series if we if we get through. I think it's fascinating in um, in teams like Pittsburgh where you've got Matt Murray and can either of you remember the other goaltenders? Christian Jari. Thank you. Yeah, and. I think it's always fascinating there because Matt Murray obviously, you know, has got the pedigree. He's won the cups and although he's young still, he's, he is there in a sense, he's their number one because of the fact he's been there and done that and, and won those Stanley cups. And ironically what he did to flurry back in Pittsburgh is now kind of happening to him. I mean, he's incredibly young for it to happen to him, but, but, Pittsburgh went with that cup winner and that cup experience and who knows whether that was the difference maker. I always find it really difficult to kind of pin the blame of a series defeat on one individual, even if it is a goaltender, because Pittsburgh have enough firepower elsewhere to do more than they did. However, interesting in teams like that where you've got a proven cup winner and it must be really difficult for those coaches to to say, actually, no, Matt, you're sitting this time. <laughs> and we're Take, putting the um... other guy in. Take St. Louis, Binnington and Jake Allen. Uh, yeah. So Binnington won the cup last year. You know, everybody everybody was raving about him. Hasn't looked that great in the start of this series. And game three, Jake Allen comes in and the Blues get a win. So who do you start for game four? That's, that's an interesting one for the Blues. Uh, but again, two good goaltenders, one with a lot more experience, one young guy that won them the cup last year. Yeah. Difficult decision for the coach. Yeah, really tough. That's where those coaches earn their money, I guess. Um, right, I want to talk about the Coyotes and the Stars in a little bit more detail with you guys and, and kind of looking at their their series matchup and what you think their chances are then of, of progressing. But I want to do a very quick, quick fire reactions. So not predictions, because we can't do predictions, but we can do reactions. Um, to all of the playoff rounds and where we are. So you're going to limit it to about 15 second answers on these ones. So quick fire reactions as I read out these series. We'll go James and then Matt. So your reaction to the fact that Vegas is leading the Chicago Blackhawks 3-1. And I should say the caveat to this, we're recording this on Monday night. It's available from Tuesday morning. So there will be some games that obviously we won't have added to this. But Vegas 3-1 up against Chicago, James. 
Uh, not very surprised, if I'm honest. I mean, Vegas has been one of the best teams in the West since they entered the league, uh, reached the Stanley Cup final their first season. Chicago, kind of an aging team now, still got most of their stars, but their defense is pretty old. Corey Crawford still does great things, but he's also old. And like they snuck into the playoffs because it was expanded to 24 teams. Vegas, I I expected to win this season, this series. Matt. James summed it up pretty well, to be fair. I mean, uh, yeah, I was hoping this series would be a lot tighter. Um, Vegas have been good. Uh, please, Chicago got a game. Hopefully... We can we can have a good game tonight, and but I, I do expect Vegas to go through. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just the fact that the way they they dealt with the Oilers, a team that were des- kind of seemed destined to do well in this playoffs, and uh, the way they put them to the sword. But I guess yeah, Vegas were a bit of a sleeping giant in that round robin, and uh, came out all guns blazing. Okay, good good on the time, gents. That's very good. Uh, okay, James Colorado leading the Coyotes. We'll come into more detail into this series, but just a very quick reaction on that first. Started kind of as expected. Um, Colorado, hugely like elite offensive talent on that team. They've got some great pieces across their roster. Coyotes fight with passion and energy. When they're really on it, great defense, phenomenal goaltending. Um, I think they can push them to at least game six, as long as they play with the same kind of energy that they have the last couple of games, because they've looked almost on a par with Colorado in a lot of aspects over the last two games, apart from that first game where they just got annihilated because they didn't didn't turn up. Yeah, it was a brutal third period, that wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Matt. Two words: Darcy Kemper. <laughs> That is the key to this series for Arizona. Yeah. Um, strong, very strong Colorado team. I, I think we said several times they, they could go all the way. Um, but yeah, Darcy Kemper, key to this series, whether it goes on, whether it goes on much longer, I think is really down to him. Um, Coyotes have got the offensive skill to score some goals, but can they still be in the game or will it be out of touch? Very good. On to Dallas Calgary. James, what is your reaction to the fact that it is currently 2-2? It's an interesting one. Um, The Stars obviously acquired some older guys in like Corey Perry and Pavelski to try and give themselves some more offensive power. Um, Good scoring games. 5-4 OT yesterday. Um, I think the Flames and Stars kind of complement each other well. I think this one might actually go all the way to game seven. It's quite a tough one to uh, to kind of predict for me. Excellent. It's going to be fun watching uh, Matt go grey as this goes further and further on to uh, to later ones. Matt, very quickly, we'll go into it more detail later, but your quick 15-second reaction to the fact that this is 2-2. Uh, surprised. Uh, the Stars have started scoring goals, um, apart from game three. And but every every game has been close, uh, and the the big takeaway from four games is uh, shorthanded goals. Yes, Calgary scoring three shorthanded goals uh, in three. Sorry, one shorthanded goal in three three back to back games. Uh, just not good enough. No, 
No, well, you did give them the heads up about the power play, didn't you? You were did, not enjoying that power play <laughs> no. for a lot of this playing series. Um, right, final one in the West. Uh, we're going with St. Louis, who are currently 2-1 down to the Vancouver Canucks. And while I don't get 15 seconds, I am going to say this is the biggest surprise. I did not see Vancouver. Well, who knows what will happen in this series, but I did not see the series being led by the Canucks at any point. I thought the St. Louis Blues were going to be way too powerful for them. But James, did you think differently? No, I totally agree. I mean, the Blues are the reigning Stanley Cup champions. You would have expected that like, their roster is almost unchanged from last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would have thought they would have been, you know, just using their experience, pressing on forward. But the Canucks, like, they've got a ton of great young like, offensive talents um, like leading the way and then they've got Jakob Markstrom who's playing like the best hockey of his career and he's like a, a guaranteed thing at the moment so I mean it's great to see Vancouver stepping up in this way big shock um, we'll see if they can continue it especially with the Blues now needing to decide whether or not Allen starts the next game over Binnington yeah Matt special teams Again, uh, Vancouver, six power play goals and one shorthanded goal. And that is the key to this series at the moment. If Vancouver keep uh, their power play going the way it is, I mean, it looks, it looks incredible. I'm, I'm very jealous. Um, then I, I think they'll, they'll see the Blues out. I'd, I'd, you know, Pettersson, Horvat, JT Miller, all doing it on the power play. It's impressive. Really interesting uh, cap situation going on in Vancouver. If you're a if you're a fan of cap friendly, then I suggest going and having a look at their page and trying to work out how they signed uh, uh, Markstrom because he's uh, he's UFA this year, isn't he? I think he didn't he come up this year. I, I think, think so. And uh, yeah, I, Vancouver are one of those teams who, when you think back to the fact that they got rid of so much cap when the Sedins retired and all this kind of stuff and. But then the Luongo contract came back to bite them, and now they signed some very dodgy kind of third and fourth line expensive players. And and yeah, it's a fascinating one if you look at their cap friendly page of how they're going to um, how they're going to get through the next couple of years. So let's go east and uh, start at the top of my bracket here, and that is Philadelphia versus the Canadiens. My dad, who is a Canadiens fan, loved reminding me all weekend about how long uh, they are still in the tournament and sent me pictures of uh, Go Habs Go signs that are currently on advertising hoardings in Toronto, which uh, is some kind of crime, I think. But um, So the Habs won one game, but they have gone down 2-1 to the Philadelphia Flyers. James, what is your 15-second reaction to that series and score? Uh, yeah, I mean, considering the Habs were, like, what, 11th seed in the East, something like that, uh, on par with the Coyotes and the West, actually, um, seeing them beat Pittsburgh, knock them out, and then really push the Flyers, who were kind of like the top seed in the East entering this postseason. Um, I think it's been really interesting and impressive to see Kerry Price, again, playing an ama- amazing like he does um, when they need him to. Flyers are up 2-1 now. It's going to be interesting to see how their resolve kind of like holds firm. Um, but I still think the Flyers are going to overcome them and progress. I hope so too. Uh, Matt? Uh, surprise at how close this is. Mm. Each game, okay, 
one of them was 5-0, but uh, didn't expect the Canadians to be as competitive against Philadelphia. Um, but I think we mentioned uh, probably last week about Carhartt versus Carey Price, and that seems like what the battle is. Um, the number of sort of shots per game is really close each game, and it's it's a battle of the goaltenders. Who who can who can do it? Carhartt or Carey Price? I think both teams are fairly reliant on those number ones and don't necessarily have the the tandems we were talking about. Yeah, no, certainly do. One interesting nugget from that series was uh, when uh, Montreal were 5 0 up um, in their game against Philadelphia. There, uh, The Philadelphia coach was uh, not too pleased with the fact that they were still putting out their first power play unit at 5 0 up. The response from the Montreal Canadiens was this is the playoffs and we're just happy to be here and we are not going to let anything. <laughs> Anything like that uh, deny us of a victory, even 5-0 up. I don't know. It's one of those weird hockey things, isn't it, where you don't score too many against a team and something like that. But I just don't understand how in in the playoffs, when you see games, you know, teams coming back from three goals, four goals down, even however unlikely it is, you've got to give everything you've got in the playoffs. You don't hold back, do you, at 5-0 down? I, I mean, my my initial reaction was get over it, stop complaining. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then actually, in game three, they shut the Canadians out. So yeah. you know, they obviously channeled that that sort of anger over that in the right way. It's a bit like whatever you need to do, isn't it? I guess yeah. as a coach to to rile them a little. But it was a bit pathetic. Yeah, I did think of all the things to pick their team apart from. It's like, come on, really, you're losing to a team that shouldn't even be in the playoffs. But anyway personal bias coming through um okay on to tampa bay versus the columbus blue jackets we already talked about that marathon game one between these two since then columbus did pull one back after that kind of heartbreaking loss in the first game um and i think all tampa fans probably were slightly concerned that this was going to be some sort of repeat of what happened the year before however tampa bay two one up does anyone know what the score is currently right now because i know they are playing as we are Recording two one to Tampa at the moment, end of the second. Two one to Tampa at the end of the second. So two one to Tampa at the end of the second of game four. Two one to Tampa in the series. James' reaction of this one. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw how the Blue Jackets swept Tampa last season. Obviously, last season's Blue Jackets um, team had well more stars on it, I should say, like Bobrovsky, Duchesne, guys like that, and. Um, I'm not surprised that it's a lot closer this time around, even though the Lightning themselves have their own kind of injury issues that they're dealing with. Um, it's interesting that it's still very close in the scores, but I do see Tampa still kind of um, finally asserting their dominance and getting past the defensive juggernaut that has been the Blue Jackets this time around. Matt? Yeah, I think, I think Tampa have got too much um, offensively. Um, I think we mentioned before, can the Blue Jackets do two playoff series shutting out offensive teams like the Leafs and and, um, Tampa? And I think it's probably a few games too far. That said, the games are close. And when there's just one goal in it, who knows? We've seen... Columbus come back from 3-0 down and, and win games. So, yeah, who knows? 
I just think they're, they're the resilience that they show. I just I don't think I'd ever bet against them. I think they could be three nil down in a series, and Tortorella just seems to be able to with this group particularly. He just seems to be able to get them to grind out every single bit of of energy and kind of amplify every little bit of skill that those guys have got. And you know, Pierre Luc Dubois looks like he looks like Sidney Crosby out there. Like he just <laughs> he's he plays next level that guy. And you know, I'd heard of him, but I certainly he wasn't one that I was kind of quivering about seeing kind of the Leafs face up against. But now after watching him in a couple of series, you think this guy's incredible. And just the way that they get so much out of a team that, as you say, James, is missing a lot of players. Remember, this is a team, Columbus, that basically went all in last year. <laughs> just just basically just chucked everything at last season. And it, it you know, got them not that far, really, although they did beat Tampa. Um, but yeah, very interesting series between those two. Okay, two more to go very quickly. This, again, this got to be the most shocking one in the East um, just because of the, of the one-sided nature of it. But New York Islanders are currently leading the Washington Capitals 3-0 on track for a sweep. I don't know if they play tonight or not or whether they've got tomorrow. Um, but James, reaction to, uh, to the New York Islanders potentially sweeping the Caps? Barry Trotz. Yeah. I mean, he won the cup with the Capitals. He knows yeah. that team almost inside out. Like, the Islanders were kind of the worst team the Capitals could have paired up with because Trotz can literally just pick them apart and get his team playing against all the abilities of the Capitals players that he was around for so many years. Mm. I'm not surprised that the Islanders are winning this series. I mean, they also say that. Um, sometimes when you win a cup there's kind of like a hangover where the players kind of don't drive themselves as much as as you would have hoped sort of thing the Capitals have their cup they got it under Trotz Trotz knows what he's doing he's got the Islanders playing exactly how he wants them and yeah the Capitals could get swept mad mad Matt I think we we said you never know where a, a sweep is coming, and I probably wouldn't have predicted it in in this <laughs> series. So um, yeah, I think um, the Islanders have been a, a surprise. I think I think they've they're talented enough to to perform like this, obviously, but I don't think many people expected them to to look this good against the Caps. Um, Valamov is playing really well. If they can keep him fit and playing well, who knows how far they could go. They've certainly got the, the office, offensive talent and they seem to be very well organised. Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've kept Ovechkin quiet apart from the one, the one game. So, yeah, keep that up. question I've got is what did Barry Trotz want that the Capitals weren't willing to give him in a contract deal or something? Because, I mean, there must have been some real differences there that there wasn't a fit. And after winning a Stanley Cup, it just seems a bizarre situation that he is now coaching a team that is potentially and, and most likely going to knock them out in the first round. And Caps are another interesting team to look at in terms of you know what they're going to do and whether they're going to try and do some kind of rebuild on the fly or whether they're going to try and, you know, Braden Holtby's uh, uh, contract that's expiring soon. They've got to look at that and a very interesting one in Washington, how they're going to deal with what could potentially... I mean, who knows? They could win the next four and come back and win in Game 7. But um, on to the final game 
and the last one in the East. I think this has been the most entertaining series, and I don't know whether it's because I will always cheer for a team against the Bruins and I have a soft spot for the Canes, but I, this this series just seems to have had everything. I mean, with Tuka Rask, you know, deciding to to leave, you've had the you know the horrific injury to Svechnikov, and a huge blow for the Canes. I mean, he was he was one of those offensive weapons that the Canes utilised so well and was so dangerous. Even though, and we will never see the lacrosse, uh, or we, at least this season anyway, we won't see the lacrosse goal go in in the playoffs. Um, but Boston currently lead two one. Um, reaction to that, James, Boston leading, but still close in that one. Well, it's like the pantomime villain against uh, the guy everyone likes <laughs> series yeah. at the moment. I mean, as a Leaf fan, I'm sure everyone can guess my, my views on the Bruins and the Bruins are continuing to be the Bruins. Um, even their like, sports broadcaster, Jack Edwards, oh, has yeah. kind of been the Bruins from my point of view. Um, I think the Hurricanes without Shvetsnikov is going to really struggle now. Um, the Bruins, obviously, they've got they've just got a lot of firepower. I know Pasternak's been injured. I don't know if he's back yet. They've got Halak. If Halak can play to the level he has, then the Canes are probably going to struggle quite a bit. But, I mean, you can't really count them out because they've just looked so good this year. Um I just hope it can continue, really. Yeah. Amen. Matt? This is, this is another tight series. I think all the games have been competitive. Um, they've, all been, they've all been close. I just think, and we're not meant to be doing predictions, but <laughs> I think Boston's <laughs> experience is going to be, be too much for the Carolina, especially without uh, Spetsikov. I just think, yeah, they they need that scoring. If they were going to beat Boston, they need all their their top top guns firing. And so without him, it's going to be really tough. Go Canes, go! <laughs> Come on, don't let us down. Don't let us down. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, gents, for that. So we're going to now um, have a look at the uh, Dallas Stars, but first the Coyotes and have a little bit of look about them. Because me and Matt were talking in the last podcast with Claire and we got round to the Coyotes series against the Avs and we kind of know a fair bit about the Avs because they're quite a high-profile team now with their, with their superstars and all this kind of stuff. And I think it's fair to say, Matt, we had a bit of a blind spot on Arizona in terms of what they were made of. They kind of had a an okay regular season. I think it's fair to say, James, they had good parts, but then struggled as well. And now you write on the Arizona um, Coyotes. So who do you write for, James, so that people can then kind of hear your stuff and then go and, and read more. And then tell us a little bit about what you've made of the Coyotes and how that team has fared considering the fact that they're probably facing, well, they're certainly facing one of the favourites in the West in round one. Uh, so I write for SB Nation's um, Five for Howling, um, dedicated to the Coyotes. And the Coyotes have matched up with um, the Avalanche, who are a very strong offensive side. Um, and it was actually probably out of the four um, seeded teams that Coyotes fans wanted to face more um, because the Coyotes, their real identity is their defence. Um, they are, obviously, we've mentioned Darcy Kemper, who 
for many years was just kind of a guy in the NHL and he's gone to Arizona and now he is legitimately like viewed as a Vesna quality goaltender when he's healthy. Um, a bit like Antti Ranta was when he first moved to Arizona before he had his injury problems. And the Coyotes have this exceptional defensive like core. I think they had the, it was like the sixth best penalty kill in the regular season, though they didn't score many goals. I mean, they've still got guys like Oliver Ekman Larson, Nicholas Chalmerson, who's won three cups with the Blackhawks and is still one of the best like shutdown defensemen in the league. Jacob Chikrin, who's still only like 21, um, 21, 22 sort of thing. Like he's still really young and he's already proving to be one of the best like young sort of like top four defensemen uh, going in the NHL. And really they're built around their defense and their physical sort of play. Um, they've got a line um, that's been really solid, actually, um, in Lawson Kraus, Carl Soderberg, who they traded for from the Avalanche um, in the summer, and Christian Fisher. Um, Christian Fisher was an interesting one, actually, because he was a young guy. I think he was a first-round pick like a few years ago. Um, had a good rookie season, put up like a few points, but kind of never really found a spot. And now that line is like almost like their checking line, and they keep they keep the, their opponents on their toes with their physicality. They're stripping the puck. They're getting in strong positions in front of the net, which they didn't always do across the season. Um, and probably um, the best story that's come out of this postseason has been Michael Grabner, who I'm sure you remember from the Leafs when they had that tanking season. Um, he so I oh, don't obviously not many people sort of follow the Coyotes, but they are a fun, interesting team to follow. Um, and last season, Grabner actually got hit in the eye with, from a high stick, and he lost a lot of vision in his eye to the point where now, if you look at him, you can see his eyes are completely different because of the impact. And he was out for a long time. He came back this year. Um, and he kind of never really looked himself on the ice. There was a lot of concerns about whether or not he could still play, whether or not he's still struggling to see. He was scratched, like a healthy scratch, about 22 times this year. And he actually, before moving into the bubble, was considering whether or not it was worth him even going. And he has come up huge for the Coyote. He's scored two goals. He scored a crucial um, breakaway goal against the Nashville Predators um, in the playing round, which helped the Coyotes, I think, take game what game three, I think it was, um, to extend that, like take the lead again in the series before they eventually won it. And he scored a goal um, again, I think it was in game two or something against the Avalanche um, to level the score when the Coyotes were down after a really fluky deflected goal um, from Tyson Jost, um, which was going wide and suddenly it was just in the back of the net because he just managed to tip it with the end of his, putt, the end of his stick. So it's like guys that, have, that are not really kind of like the big names have kind of come up big, I would say, for the Coyotes against the Avalanche, who obviously we know the Avalanche's big names, Nathan McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, Kale McCarr on the defense. Um, Taylor Hall obviously was probably the biggest 
acquisition for the Coyotes this season. He's been excellent. You can see why <laughs> why he used to be a heart like oh, he was the heart trophy winner. He's been the best forward probably on on the Coyotes and gives them a lot of opportunities on the offensive end. Um, but it's really been more of like the middling sort of guys that have really stepped up and are kind of causing problems for the Avalanche with their energy and their physicality um, a lot of the time. Have you seen the um, the NHL Hub Twitter Hub Life Twitter account? They are campaigning for some footage of Phil Kessel. So. How's Phil Kessel been performing and why are we not seeing any footage of him in the hub? Phil Kessel is an interesting character. I think um, he's kind of one of those guys, he doesn't like attention. He doesn't really do a lot of media like interviews and things like that. Um, obviously, when he was in, with the Leafs, he had like issues with some reporters and things like that and the whole image problem and Steve Simmons making up that hot dog story, which he really has taken in stride. And Coyotes fans have really like latched on to it because <laughs> there's a specific, um, a specific type of hot dog out in Arizona called like a Sonoran hot dog. It's a very specific, like it's like chili and other, all, all sorts of stuff. And um, when Kessel like was traded to them last season, they were, they were desperate to see Kessel eat like a Sonoran hot dog. <laughs> and um, I mean, he's been playing fine in the, in the playoffs. Um, he's been playing, I mean, he was on the top line at one point with Taylor Hall and Christian Dvorak. I think that's kind of been swapped out now where Dvorak and Kessel are kind of more playing second line minutes with Hall staying on the first line with Derek Stepan and Clayton Keller, who has been really good, actually. He's been excellent in um, the postseason for the Coyotes, and he kind of needed to be because they gave, they've given him a huge contract extension, like seven mil like plus for the next like eight years or whatever. So like they locked him up really thinking like, this guy's going to be a, a, like the cornerstone of the offense, and he's been great, actually. He's been really good offensively. Um, in the postseason. Kessel has been a bit more quiet. Um, he had a bit of a down year anyway because he was injured a lot. Um, his shooting wasn't quite where it used to be, but he has a goal uh, in in the postseason so far. Um, he gets shots off. Um, he He's scrapping a bit, like trying to strip pucks and take pucks and battle in the offensive zone. So he's doing his job as he can. Um, I'd like to see more of it personally um, because, you know, he's Phil Kessel. He's two-time Stanley Cup champion for a long time. He was one of the most consistent goal scorers in the league, let alone on the Leafs. And, you know, the Coyotes traded to get him. So you got to hope that he can live up to his, his billing. But the Coyotes kind of are molded in a way where it's more of a, an, a unit needs to be working rather than an individual player. Um, as Jolan said earlier, the Coyotes, they kind of had an up and down season and that's largely due to injuries. Um, before Christmas, they were top of the Pacific division. Um, they beat Tampa 7-2 in a game. Like the Coyotes who scored the fourth fewest goals in the league this past season they put seven past Tampa. Darcy Kemper and Ranta, when he was like rotated in, were putting up Vesna numbers. And then both of them got injured within like a week of each other. And unfortunately, it happened a week after Taylor Hall got traded to them. 
So a lot of people in the media, not Arizona fans, but in the media kind of said, oh, Taylor Hall, you know, he's supposed to be this amazing player, but he's gone there and actually his record is terrible and the team's doing terrible now and maybe he's the problem and it was just, it was just wrong. They just lost so many players. Like they had Nicholas Chalmerson for less than half a season. Jason Demers lost a bunch of time around January. Ekman Larson, their captain, lost a bit of time through injury. Connor Garland, right towards the end of the season, he was their top goal scorer with 22 goals. He got injured. So, I mean, they were missing big players from their team. Phil Kessel played the entire season injured and he just refused to miss, get, miss game time because he wanted he's got, to keep his Ironman streak. I was going to say, he's got an Ironman streak, hasn't he, still? Yeah, there's been a lot of, like, contentiousness with that because... Kessel chose to keep his, keep his Ironman streak going, which in, in effect impacted how he played on the ice. And a lot of fans are kind of like, well, had he actually like lost, like ended his streak, gotten medical help and come back, maybe he would have done better and the team mm. might have done better. But they were missing so many guys at different, at different points. Like Jacob Chikrin got injured again. Like he has struggled with injuries ever since entering the league. And like when you're missing like five, six, Five, six, like, starters in your lineup, including both your goaltenders at one point. Like, no that would cripple most teams, wouldn't it? That would yeah, cripple it, most teams. Like, to put it into, into perspective, imagine Freddie Anderson and no. Jake Campbell were both no. injured. No. You, just, you add me at Fre- <laughs> Freddie Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the Leafs, Freddie Anderson goes down, their entire team, like, crumbles because they can't handle it. Like... The Coyotes, if Kemper goes down, they've got Ranta, who is able to step in, but both of them were gone. So they were relying on two AHL goaltenders, one of whom was a rookie this year in the AHL, Ivan Prosvitov. And so, I mean, like, people give the Coyotes a lot of, like, stick. And I don't think it's always justified because a lot of people look at it on paper rather than, like, actually looking deep into it. And... So I, I looked at it, like I looked at the Leafs. The Leafs only had two players play all 70 games this season. Yeah, they were pretty banged up. They were banged up. And I'm pretty sure the Coyotes had less. <laughs> like, yeah. from what I looked at, I mean, they were missing guys, like important guys the whole time. But don't worry, though, because if Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell both got injured, then don't worry, because we have got David Ayres. Remember that fact. We have got. He is a Marley's employee, though. <laughs> I'm sure we could call him up. I'm sure he would be allowed in the NHL bubble. Um, James, uh, moving away from the kind of the the, the now and the the playoffs um, for Arizona, because because ultimately they're at, I, I, it doesn't feel make or break for the Coyotes this year. Um, it certainly feels like they've got more kind of years ahead of them in terms of playoff performances and a lot will depend on Taylor Hall and, and some of those other players. But John Shaker leaving when he did, I can't imagine it affected the Coyotes that much in the playoffs because the team's the team and I don't know what a GM does in the playoffs other than stand there and worry about their own job. But that he was he was seen as quite a um, visionary GM, quite new, new ideas, fresh thinking, and he was certainly one of the younger GMs, if not the youngest GM um, in the National Hockey League. For him to walk away and without kind of you know we've we've heard why and the reasons of, to a certain extent, and maybe we'll never know, or certainly until kind of details come out, we we won't know. But 
How much do you think that is going to affect a the Taylor Hall negotiations, which are going to be huge, and b the makeup of the team going forward? Probably a lot, you know. Um, I think with Taylor Hall, I think like like Chaker was the guy that brought him in. Um, apparently, Hall like really liked Chaker at least initially, like when he first joined the Coyotes. There were some rumours floating around before this whole thing sort of blew up and Shaker kind of like officially left where people were kind of wondering whether or not Hall really like that, like trusted Shaker and things like that. And it kind of it seems that Shaker sort of became hands off uh, around the team because of the ongoing like situation where he was kind of like hoping to secure a move to a different um, organization which a lot of people are reporting and rumoring is the New Jersey Devils not the Devils specifically more the ownership group behind them because they own teams across multiple leagues and are on the verge of purchasing another one and they kind of wanted him to work in like their analytics side across the board um, but because it involved the Devils and hockey Coyotes kind of weren't willing to let this happen because, I mean, it's a lot of he said, she said at the moment um, situation with Taker. But in terms of Taylor Hall, it seems that ownership um, and the the newest um, CEO, Xavier Gutierrez, is um, kind of leading leading negotiations where that's concerned now. I think Taker departing will impact that less than how the team does in the playoffs. Um, I think like Taylor Hall, he won the Hart Trophy. Before this season, he had been to the playoffs once in his entire career. Once in the playoffs. The Coyotes have won a series in the postseason. Might not be considered the actual playoffs, but they won a series against Nashville. You can see how much he's loving playing right now. Like every time a goal goes in, he's like cheering so loud. And there is a real belief that he loves playing for the Coyotes and he loves the people around him. He loves his teammates. He loves the coaches. He has really strong relationships, even though he's only been there since like mid-November. So if the team, like if the team miraculously overcame the avalanche and progressed to the next round... I think Hall is guaranteed to stay with Arizona. How it fits under the cap, however, is another question. And some contracts are going to have to be moved from that team because you've got guys like Alex Goligoski, who actually has kind of had a bit of a resurgence in the last like year or two with the Coyotes. But he's on like over $5 million and he's 35 years old. And um, Matt will probably have... <laughs> fond memories of Goligoski since he was a, a long-time Dallas Stars player, uh, probably in his prime. Um, but, I mean, we've, it, he's an ageing defenceman now. Um, their their defence is, you know, at average age is, 20, is over 29. Like, your captain's 29, and he's locked up on over 8 million for, like, the next six or seven years. Goligoski, are they up against the cap, James, are they? Oh, yeah. So the Coyotes and the Toronto Maple Leafs are listed one and two on Cap Friendly. Really? 
Yeah. And is that because because so much of that used to be just contracts, like fake contracts that were sent out there and and players who never played for them and they were just kind of the money had all been paid, but they took the cap hit. Is that still the case with Arizona now or have they managed to shed some of them? They've only got one now. They've got one contract that's on LTIR, which is Marion Hosa's contract, which Uh um, expires. (laughs) We know know him, Matt, don't we? (laughs) We do. We would recognise him if we walked straight past him, wouldn't we? You would think, sorry, carry on, James. We, we walked straight past Marion Hosa and didn't know who it was. But, no, yeah. wow. That's Not crazy. actually, we didn't even just walk past him. There was a group of people around him asking for autographs and photographs at the World like, Championships. And me and Matt like, looked and went, no, I don't know. I don't know who he is. We used to see him with a helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Coyote's legend, it. come on. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, Coyote's legend who turns up once a year, signs just up. Like and goes, Pavel Batsyuk. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so... So those are gone then, apart from Hosa, who presumably can't have that long left, I wouldn't have thought. One more year. So his contract expires next year. Um, so this year, they've actually had to eat into LTIR quite a bit. They're using three and a half million um, of that LTIR. So they are, or they have been this year, a cap-like team. Yeah. Um, for the first time, like, in forever, like, Coyotes fans were quite surprised by that. And... I mean, a lot of that is to do with, you know, they acquired Kessel's contract, which is like 6.8 million. Um, they're giving people like, like Dvorak's contract um, extension started this year, I believe. And that went up to like four and a half million. Um, Jacob Chikrin is now on a like four and a half million uh, dollar deal. Ekman Larson's on like eight million. And you've got guys like Goligoski, who's on like five and a half, 5.25 mil. Um, still kicking around and um, Taylor Hall actually because his contract was 50% retained is only on like 3 million for this team at the moment so they've got things that they need to be doing and they've got a few free agents like coming off the books um, that they need to make decisions on but if they take away Hosa's LTIR contract they've got about just under 7 million dollars worth of cap space, and they've got about five Taylor Hall in that as well. Five free agents to to make decisions on, including Taylor Hall. So there's an easy solution: sign Liam Liam Kirk and bring him up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mark. You can. Are you friends with Mark Mark Rackham? I I had to get that out there for Mark. He's, yeah. Did you see that Mark got a very nice uh, delivery of cross-check clothing, which uh, yeah. Liam Kirk's done a brand, uh, done a, uh, a line with, and uh, sent uh, Mark a, a package with a with a hoodie on as uh, his number one fan signed by. Uh, I mean, he is relentless. If Literally. you follow Mark on uh, Twitter, I don't think there is a Coyotes tweet that has not been quote tweeted with sign Liam Kirk. And, he literally, uh, like, he comments to the Coyotes every single day. Today's a good day to sign Liam Kirk. His his persistence and his belief is fantastic. And I, love it. I, I also enjoy how uh, he appreciates the fact that they haven't blocked him yet. <laughs> it is relentless. And I just hope for two reasons, actually. I hope, obviously, for Liam and, and for Great Britain Ice Hockey that he does indeed sign with the Coyotes and just to see what Mark's reaction would be like. I think that would be a spectacular moment. James, it's been fascinating um, learning a bit more about Arizona and I will now take um, a certain phrase of kind of um, having a go at the Coyotes for just being a kind of a cap dump team 
I will take that out of my hockey repertoire and um, uh, because it's, it's, it is great to know that they're a team that are playing to the cap in a, in a competitive way as opposed to just a kind of an admin way. Um, and it must be fantastic for Coyotes fans to know that, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of money being pumped in there. And, and as soon as they can kind of get the John Shiker stuff out of the way, I can imagine that um, a signature from Mr. Hall would be a, a huge um, boost in that direction and kind of a, a clear franchise player for them um, in years to come. Um, so I'm, I'm a little conscious of time. Claire always tells me that, you know, we should keep these podcasts to an hour. So I feel like I have had to go over a little bit because she's not here. Um, but Matt, I want to get um, your reaction to the Dallas Stars Calgary series, because while you were, I don't know if you were, I'm trying to think back to how you were last week. I don't know whether you were confident, but you felt that if, Dallas could stop Calgary scoring. That was how you were going to win the series. Did you envisage that the games would be going to overtime and Dallas would be put in five past the Flames to get to 2-2? How do you feel about the series now? As yeah, Well, moving on from last week. Uh, I did not see the Stars scoring five in two out of the first four games. Uh, we, we, I, James mentioned Arizona not scoring many goals. I, I think Dallas were probably scored less in the regular season than Arizona. Um, it, I don't know where it's come from, but I'm pleased. <laughs> I mean, but, but it could still be so much better. Um, you know, typical fan always wanting more. In game four, we had over 100 shot attempts. We had 77 in game three and didn't score a goal. You know, there there is real potential there for putting Calgary to the sword and, and winning these games easily, but we're just not doing it. You know, um, one, one goal games and it, it shouldn't be that close. We've been the better team in, in the last three, three games. And I'm hoping we can, we can build on that and, and, you know, take take the series in 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 six but um it's close calgary calgary are a good side um cam talbot's playing well um it was typical just as i was thinking we'd, we'd kept johnny goodrow quiet he popped up with a, a goal and an assist um in game four he, he's a player i've never seen play well <laughs> i don't know what it is I, he had a really bad I, world championships when we saw him and whenever i watch calgary he's always a disappointment i <laughs> I've been why. watching this series thinking he's not he's not as good as everybody thinks he is. Wow. And in game four he had he had quite a good game. But um we we started scoring power play goals. That's nice. We started started scoring first. You do that. You're an you're at an yeah. advantage. I, I think <laughs> gone twelve games without scoring first. Um so yeah. Positive positive signs. Not so good that we lost we've seemed to have lost Ben Bishop, but as we mentioned earlier, Hudobin, you know, he's a he's a good backup, one A, one B, whatever you want to call him. Um, and I'm slightly more positive this week that we could we good. could go on to to win the series. But so will the series be wrapped up by this time next week? Yeah, the games come thick and fast. So uh, game five is tomorrow, and game six is. Um, two days later and game seven would be two days after that. So yeah, they're, they're thick and fast in all the series. 
Excellent. And are they at uh, at civil times for your? Uh... Well, they they do this thing where they only announce the next, yeah, uh, like fixture and and the time. They don't do the others. Um, I think they wait to see who's playing on which days and whose series are still going, and then they'll they'll shift them around accordingly. So if there's any five overtime, <laughs> yeah. So so luckily for me, game. Uh, game five is at ten thirty, I think UK time. I was nice. stupid enough to get up to watch the two three thirty games, and I suffered for the next couple of days because back to back three thirty games. It was uh, it was pretty tough, but it's the playoffs. That's that's what you do. It's what you do. It's not it's not easy. It's not easy for the players. It's not easy for the fans. It's certainly not easy for fans over in Europe. Uh, James, what is your uh, playoff schedule looking like now for uh, following the Coyotes and any other games? Are they are the scheduling gods being kind to you? Well, the Coyotes actually kick off their game for now. Um, so I might miss most of that, unfortunately. Um, typically, though, the Coyotes have been sort of scheduled in the earlier games, so I've been able to to watch the majority of their games. So I'm hoping that if they progress beyond, like, into, like, game six and seven and things like that, that those will also be on the earlier side of the schedule. Excellent. Well, best of luck to you both um, in your, uh, well, James and your kind of professional following of the Coyotes and Matt and your undying love for the stars. I hope uh, I hope the OTs fall in your favour and uh, the games continue. I've got a couple of days off at the end of this week and I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm hoping there are some decent kind of game six, game sevens, uh, or at least some kind of proper meaningful games that I can uh, try and reignite my interest in the playoffs and uh, get back on board um, over my maple leaf blues. Um, thank you very much, James, for joining us this week. Really appreciate your time and, uh, and kind of insight into the Arizona Coyotes. I feel like I've, I've learned a fair bit about that organization and will stop making certain jokes that I've been dining out on for several years. Thank you very much for joining us, James. Yeah, no problem. And uh, good to hear. One day we will uh, we'll talk positive about the Leafs and we'll get you on to talk about your true passion. Um, <laughs> Matt, uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to have a chat and we'll, uh, we'll find out how Dallas get on next week. I'm quite enjoying this charting the progress of a, of a hockey fan who gets to watch the postseason. <laughs> I'm backing Dallas so we can follow this story all the way through to the end. Imagine, Matt, imagine. It could be a Stanley Cup final. You could have me on a Zoom screen going, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? This is, this is where we differ because you you think every year the Leafs are going to win the cup. So uh, apart yeah, from this year, <laughs> one one round at a time, one round at a time. Very good. Right. Well, me and Matt will be back next week. Um, if I can sort my life out and admin out, we'll uh, we'll get some guests on and we'll hear some more about some other teams around the leagues. Um, you can get in contact with us on Twitter. It's at NHL Fans from Afar. Do drop us a tweet. Do get in contact. It'd be great to hear from you. Let us know how you're doing and if you fancy coming on to the podcast as well we'd love to hear from you that was one of kind of I know mine and Claire's favorite things about this podcast was hearing from fans you know connecting with the likes of Matt and James that was we have done tonight but also hearing from loads of other hockey fans who are this side of the pond and following their team so do drop us a dm or drop us a tweet and we'll get back in touch with you if you fancy coming on and talking waxing lyrical and about your uh, team in the playoffs or maybe bemoaning the fact that it's been cut all too short thanks very much and we will see you next week